0: Along with our congregation here, we're glad to have those who are with us online this morning. Uh, together as we come to the Word, let's ask for a blessing upon it. Father, we do ask that for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Spirit may be at work, the one who has inspired your Word, that he may be at work in us too, so that we might present the Word, receive the Word, and act upon the Word in faith and help and love. Uh, unto a a faithfulness to you and the exaltation of your son with the joy that we receive in especially in this day recognizing again the conviction that we are to have of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. May your mercies be upon us then to that end we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be taking a look at John chapter 11 this Morning, verses 17 to 27, and then also carry on in our focus on the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, we're called in the URCNA, the United Reformed Churches, as pastors to preach confessionally, uh, typically from the Heidelberg Catechism. So we seek to fulfill that obligation as pastors. And uh, we're looking at Lord's Day 22 this morning. It's dealing with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting last articles in the Apostles' Creed. You can find that if you want to follow along in a moment on page 29 in the blue hymnals. But we'll read first some scriptures from John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. <clears throat> John chapter 11, 17 to 27, we hear from the word of God. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. In response to that, we read from the Heidelberg Catechism uh, these answers, which are both to be comforting to us as we hear these last articles out of the Apostles' Creed. Question 3057 asks, How does the resurrection of the body comfort you? And the answer that's given is not only my soul will be taken immediately after this life to Christ's head, but even my very flesh raised by the power of Christ will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Question 58 asks, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? And the answer is, even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no man has ever imagined. A blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Thank the Lord for His Word. It may be a blessing to us today congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ sometimes when we when our days get quite eventful we start getting into a bit of a quandary don't we about what it is that we're going to try to get accomplished first and what's going to come at the end and sometimes we take the approach and say well i'm gonna I'm gonna start with the, the difficult things first and then the, i can get get done with the easy things last and sometimes we take the other approach and we say well i'm gonna I'm gonna do the easy things first and I'm gonna do the hard things last. But one way or the other, we probably have some kind of mentality that says, Well, I gotta take care of first things first. There's gotta be some priority, whether it's people I gotta see, places I gotta go, things that I gotta do, I gotta figure out what comes first. And that can be a challenge. And sometimes, as we hear, it sometimes we gotta even prioritize our priority. Because there's a lot of important things we could do. And we got to figure out what's most important. Uh, Sometimes we speak in terms of what is last but not least, too, don't we? Uh, it, It may be that at the end of the day, we finally take care of one other thing, and it's not because it wasn't important or that it wasn't essential. It's just that it was at that time that we finally got around to taking care of it. It was necessary. It just didn't happen until the end. And as we conclude our our view of the Christian creed here this morning, that we call the Apostles' Creed, the last articles of faith that we cover would fall into that category of, of being last, but certainly not least. Certainly not what is unimportant. And part of the reason that they're last is because they flow from the one God in three persons from whom these blessings flow, the God who comes first. And that's how we confess, don't we? We don't put ourselves first. We don't even put the blessings first. We put God first. And it's also because they speak a great deal, of course, as to what is yet to come, what we confess at the end. Is much about the end. A consoling end. A comforting end. And even though they are last, they speak to what's essential to any kind of lasting or meaningful or practical Christian confession that anybody can ever make. They're last but not least. And So as we spotlight this morning on John 11, particularly part of the dialogue between Martha and Jesus after Lazarus' death and before his raising, as a passage, that that passage sheds light on the confession that we make that is truly last in the Christian creed, but certainly not last, or least, I should say. Certainly not unimportant. Certainly not inessential. We confess the resurrection and the life because of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. In looking at this passage, and we find that we also, uh, when we confess the 11th and 12th article of the Apostles' Creed, we, we discover comfort in the glories that await those whose faith is in Christ. Along with the Father and the Spirit. It is a comfort that addresses both a reunion of what is separated at death through the resurrection of the body and also what is never separated from the everlasting life that we have in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. So we focus, first of all, on the comfort of of the resurrection of the body, where body and soul are reunited in a glorious mess. In our passage, Jesus makes the point to Martha, in order to comfort her, that her brother will rise again. Now, as often happens in the Gospel of John, as you know, what's stated by Jesus can be taken in a couple of different ways. Jesus knew that he was going to carry out an immediate rising of Lazarus. And that was going to reveal his power over death as as the divine covenant God, the great I am. Of course, this is one of those I am passages, right? Where Jesus is seen as the great God, great covenant God that he was, and that he is, and that he would be. The I am of Exodus days long before, full of grace and truth full of loving kindness and faithfulness. And it would reveal, of course, that uh, this is a person over whom death has no power because he's the righteous Savior. He's the righteous Deliverer. He has the right not only to take up his own life again, as he would say in John 10, but also he has the authority to do that for anybody who belongs to him in faith and by grace is one of his sheep. For Martha, however, at the very least, she realizes that Lazarus will rise again on the last day, she said. And that because she's a he's a believer of the God of the promise ultimately of Jesus Christ, there was a hope that she held in comfort for her brother who had died. And Jesus states this very thing in in similar terms, only he drives home the point that this truth is for those whose faith is found in him as the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. Now, uh, because of what he's about to say about everlasting life, the focus here by Jesus is to encourage Martha that through faith in him, Life wins out over death in the end. Death in Christ is not the end. That's not the confession. The end of the confession is not death, it's the end. Life is resurrected life. Though you die, you will live through faith in Christ. Taking Martha's convicting con- confession then alongside of Jesus' promise we see how important it is to now, Christ. And how important it is to be convicted about Christian resurrection, both for ourselves and for those who have shared faith in Christ with us, who have gone the way before us. And that's part of the reason why this benefit, this comforting benefit of of Christian faith is part of the Christian confession. You wouldn't want to have it outside of the Christian confession. Without a conviction in the promise of Christ, of the resurrection of the body in Jesus Christ, the, the entire Christian confession becomes empty and moot. The Christian confession, confession lacks power then, and joy, and hope. The Christian confession lacks purpose of life for holy living. Why? You, you might as well not make the Christian confession. If there is no resurrection of the body for those who are in Christ, the firstborn of the dead, then why do we bother confessing Christ at all? The scriptures are, of course, full of that truth, that, that a confession of the resurrection of the body is essential. To the Christian confession of faith. If there is no resurrection of the body, then not even Christ has been raised, and we're still in our sins. So why confess Christ? The Apostle Paul would say that if only for this life we have faith in Christ, we are to be most pitied of people. Why do you bother? People should just shake their heads at us and say that's pathetic. The Apostle Paul would say that if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Why should we do anything productive? Why not do anything destructive? Without the resurrection of the body, life loses its comfort, its vision, its meaning, its joy, its hope that would otherwise be found in the redemption The sanctified life and the resurrection hope that we can enjoy when our faith is in the resurrection and the life. So we see the essentiality there of the resurrection. We also notice, of course, that, that resurrection in the confession follows forgiveness. right? And that's the proper order of things. When we believe that the Lord doesn't hold our sins against us anymore, and we believe that Christ's righteousness has become ours, then the hope of resurrection follows because we're in Christ. There's a general resurrection of all people of which God's word speaks, but the resurrection of the body of which the confession is speaking here is what leads to glory for the believer. The resurrection of unbelief leads to eternal shame. It's what is never to be longed for, and which should cause a reverential respect for the God who saves. Because you realize that he's also the God who judges for eternity, the life of the unbeliever. The resurrection of the Christian confession, then, is one in which the believer's joy flows, see, it follows from the joy of the pardon of his sin to the joy and the benefit of the resurrection of the body. That's what's promised to the sinner who truly knows what it means to know pardon. Because it's a pardon that takes away the shame of eternal condemnation. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it promises, and it provides, the glory of resurrection life in Christ physically. There's plenty for which to look forward. The Christian knows that death is what we must confront. and He knows that separation between body and soul is going to happen. But he's consoled, by its temporary element. I believe in the resurrection of the body. It's, it's not death that's final for the believer. It's resurrected life that's final for the believer. That's the end of it. And that finality and that reunion of the body and glory with the soul is what makes all the difference in the outlook and the attitude and the lifestyle that the believer will have as the, as the person who knows Jesus as the resurrection and the life. It makes all the difference. That's the difference it's to making your life and my life. That outlook. And that life element is, is the stress in the 12th article where we confess also that we believe in, in everlasting life. We confess Jesus as the resurrection and the life as we confess the resurrection and the life everlasting. And because Jesus is the resurrection, there is resurrection. Because he is the life, there is life everlasting. And life everlasting is distinct from the resurrection. Resurrection is everlasting, but it's part of everlasting life. Jesus says, after all, that he who believes in me and lives in me will never die. That's the challenge of faith. Do you believe that? It's the confession of Martha in Christ, and it's to be our confession. Now, if one dies, how can one always live? That's that's a paradox, isn't it? That's an apparent contradiction. But everlasting life, while it certainly directs attention to the end times and eternity beyond, it is a reality in the Christian life. We, we make that confession after all that, that even already now I experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. Eternal joy. But that speaks then, of course, doesn't it, to the fact that the Christian life already has its eternal, joyous beginnings already in this life. There, there's a common theme in John, no greater example of this than, than John 3 of this, where we read that he who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is eternal life, that they may know me, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, my my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Not now, not ever. Not now, not ever. Not just not ever, not now. Life everlasting is what begins already. In the new life that Jesus Christ gives to us in this life. It's what Jesus teaches when he says that unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of of God. It's the new life that the Spirit of God gives so we might confess Christ unto justification, unto being made right with God. It's the new life that continues throughout our lives as we're called to live in the joy of sanctified life. Life, putting to death the the life of perversion and and chaos, disorder. Why do you want to live like that? And coming to life in the life of purity and order and obedience and and striving to to please our Lord and to be pleased by pleasing our Lord in all that we're doing. Through faith in Christ, we, we already know the faith in Christ already the joy of our justification and as we're sitting right where we are when we've known that we're we're called to take joy in our sanctification to, to take joy in in the life the obedient life of gratitude in our hearts to God that He's given us the opportunity to live out that's part of the you know that's part of the eternal joy we already know. Part of everlasting life. You know, to, to go out of this place and say, I'm going to take joy in serving my God. We also confess so that even in our death, everlasting life is ours. Even in our death. Christ promises that, and we're not to miss that. He who lives in me and believes in me will never die. In our experience of death and when others in the Lord pass away, we're not to miss that consolation for our hearts. The catechism doesn't want us to miss it either. Why do these things comfort you? He who believes in me and lives in me will never die. How is that possible? Our confession in light of Christ's word says, my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ Christ its head. No halfway house of purgatory. No soul sleep for God's people. We're encouraged that not even death will be able to separate us from the love of God. We go to be with the Lord, which is much better by far. That's part of the everlasting life which we confess. And that's certainly part of what Christ teaches and promises us here, that when we believe in him, we live in Christ, and if we live in Christ, there's an element of our life which will never know perishing. He who believes and lives in me will never die. Everlasting life might be the last of the things of which we confess, but it's certainly an element that provides for the believer the benefit of benefit. For those who, whose trust has been transferred from self so that the creed is no longer I believe in me, but I believe in God, in Christ, the resurrection and the life. It's the benefit of benefits because it starts with the new life of the faith in Christ unto justification. It progresses through your life. It is progressing if you're a believer in Christ. It's it, It's progressing through your life now with the joys of serving Christ through the new life in Christ. That's what you get to do when you wake up in the morning. You get to serve in the joy of your Savior. Death cannot break our life with Christ. We go to be with the Lord. And that all leads to the resurrection where there will be no longer any tears or pain or crying or death. Because the old order has passed away. We serve our Lord perfectly. And it kind of reminds us of what the Apostle says to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16-18. Therefore we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though so outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. And our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Resurrection and everlasting life are not the first things first. And the reason they're not the first things first is because that belongs to God, whom we're to trust in Christ, the resurrection and the life. But resurrection and life, while they're last in our confession, are not least at all. They are essential for us to know and to embrace. Resurrection and everlasting life flow from our trust in God. They flow from a trust in Christ, the resurrection and the life. And I would pray that as the catechism wants it to be for you too, and as the scriptures want it to be for you too, above all, I would pray that Christ is the resurrection and the life might be your comfort too you're called to find your pardon your faith your life your future, your joy in Jesus Christ when you get up in the morning go to bed at night the resurrection and the life Amen let's take a moment to respond in prayer shall we Father Father we come recognizing the first things are first. And first is, is you and your Son and your Spirit, certainly Christ, the resurrection and the life. But when you're first, and when we hear about the resurrection and the life of last, that's not least at all. It's essential, it's important, it's vital for us to focus on that. And to see that the end is not death, not curse, not shame. When we're in Christ, it's not to be a pity to follow Christ. The joy, the glory, the comfort, a meaning, a hope. And we pray, Lord, that we would see that again, or see for the first time. That our joy, in the end of all things, is not doom, and it's not shame when we're in Christ. That we might see in our hearts the eternal joy that's ours. And we show how we approach life, what we do when we get up in the morning, and when we go to bed at night. Because there's great things ahead. There's great things we've known. The joy of redemption. The joy of serving you. And yes, indeed, the anticipation of even greater things. The benefits of benefits that come. When we've known Jesus. The resurrection and the life. We pray that you would hear us in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing for...